Let's turn to Genesis 27. Genesis 27, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy word. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me a delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may be that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and, to, and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord. For I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flocks and bring me two good young goats that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, and the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. 
So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, there's a, it seems a, a big gap in time between what happened in chapter 26 and what happens here in chapter 27. We see that uh, Isaac is quite old at this point. He can't really see. Uh, he seems to not really uh, be all that keen at this point. Um, but his real problem is something else. His real problem is not his age and infirmity. His problem is that he is opposed to the will of God. And we see that here. He comes out not looking very well in this story for that reason. But then uh, the others in this story don't come out looking very well either. Rebecca, Esau, Jacob... Their sins are highlighted here in this story. It's, uh, it's pretty ugly. Scripture doesn't let us do much hero worship, at least not with biblical characters. It shows us their warts, shows us what they're really like. And God does this so that he can highlight the greatness of his grace. Verses 1 through 4 here, we see Isaac's plan. Isaac has a plan to thwart the will of God. He wanted to make Esau his heir and the heir of the covenant. Esau was the firstborn, so that would be the normal conventional thing, right? But God had chosen Jacob. Back in chapter 25, God said, The older will serve the younger. So Isaac knew this. He knew this was what God wanted. He knew this was God's plan. Rebecca knew it as well, and she surely reminded him. And he should have lived by that revelation that God had given. I think that's a point that we need to draw from this. God calls us to live by his word. 
not by our own desires, not by our own thoughts and wishes. We need to let God's word be our guide, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. We need to have our minds informed and directed by the word of God. It is supreme over our own thoughts. And Isaac knows what the word of God was concerning his sons. It doesn't seem to be um, uh, senile here. He, he, he's just refusing to heed God's word. He doesn't want to go along with it. He doesn't like God's plan. He wants to go with his plan. And he also knew at this point that Jacob possessed the birthright through his uh, uh, manipulation and through Esau's foolishness. Isaac was also aware that Esau had shown himself to be very unworthy of uh, these things, to be the heir, to be the covenant heir. What has he done? He's not only sold his birthright, but he's married not one, but two Canaanite women. And those women, remember, who grieved Isaac and Rebekah. They were grieved greatly by these women. But despite all this, Isaac's determined to do what he wants. He was determined to go against God's will by giving the blessing to Esau. Again, it was the normal custom to give the blessing to the oldest son. And of course, that's exactly what he wanted to do. And Esau was his favorite, so that only heightened the thing. But that favoritism is ugly. It's another ugly thing that we see here. It's, a, it's an ugly thing, a terrible thing to play favorites with your children. But he's clearly doing that here, and uh, so is his wife. He let his favoritism cloud his commitment to listen to God. He knew God's will. He was determined to do his own will and give the blessing to Esau. So he gives him these instructions to go out, go hunting, bring back game, cook it up, bring me some good food, and I'm going to bless you. What was this blessing all about? Well, in ancient times, the, the, the final blessing of the father was apparently legally binding. And it determined who got the inheritance. So this isn't a little thing happening here. This is a big deal. And it has to do with the covenant as well. Above all, the thing that's being emphasized here, though, is Isaac's willful attempt to resist God's will. He's doing it. He's going for it. He's digging in his heels. He knows better. He's doing it anyway. He's dead set against God's plan. As the passage unfolds, we see how futile that is to resist God's will. God will have his will be done. 
And in his sovereignty, sometimes he uses the sins of men to do that, to bring his will to pass. Of course, that should make you think of the cross. Think about Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching to the crowds, speaking about Jesus and what the Jews did to him, the Jews and the Romans. But Peter said, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Then he said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Later, Peter prayed and made a similar statement. He said, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. He's praying. He says, They did what your power and will had decided that beforehand should happen. So these sinful men were trying to thwart God's will, but in the end, they actually ended up bringing about God's will, even through their sin. They wanted Jesus dead because they hated him. They were in rebellion against God. And yet God used them to bring about his purposes. God permitted the death of Jesus at their hands. Not only permitted, ordained it. Because it brought about God's predetermined plan. And that was his plan to make Jesus an atonement for our sins. To take away our sins through his blood. And that wonderful, wonderful redemption came about through that raging, that wicked raging of men against God. And every bit of God's will was accomplished, even through those people and their raging. And that's really what's going on in our passage as well here, Isaac and Esau going directly against God, trying to thwart his will, but God's will cannot be thwarted. He will have his way, and he will exalt his sovereignty. And we see him do that here. Look at verses 5 through 13 here. Now we see Rebecca. Rebecca uh, has a plan. And her plan is to deceive her husband so that she can uh, get that blessing for her favorite son. Now she too knew what God's will was, she knew what the right thing um, was. She's aiming for the right result. 
but in the wrong way. She thought the end justified the means. But God records this here, and I think he clearly wants us to see that the means used were definitely sinful, wrong. One thing we don't see here is Rebecca praying. We don't see her waiting on the Lord, trusting in the Lord to bring about his purposes. We don't see any sign of faith in her here. Just the opposite. At least on this occasion. It's not to say that she wasn't a woman of faith, but you know how it is. God's people are very fickle. At times they uh, impress us with their faith, and other times... Not so much. This is one of those not so much times for her. She overheard her husband's plan and uh, her response was not one of faith. She took matters into her own hands. She came up with this sneaky scheme of her own to make sure that what she wanted was accomplished. And it does see that it seems seems that it was her desire to see her favorite receive the blessing. That seems to be what's what's being highlighted here. That's her will. It's not so much her concern that God's will be done. It's her will that she wants done. She wants her favorite boy to be the heir and to have the blessing. Can you see that there's an integrity problem with this family? There's a little, little issue here with this family. They're all scheming. They're plotting. They're eavesdropping, sneaking around, pulling some real dirty deals. And we think of Jacob as the deceiver, but he's not the only one. Yes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's learned from the experts and his parents. It's a good reminder to us that our integrity is important. And our children will learn from us. People around us will learn from us as well. So we need to ask ourselves, what are we teaching them? What are, we lear- what are they learning from us? God was doing a work in Jacob, but he had plenty of work to do to build integrity in him. I think we should see ourselves in Jacob. God has a whole lot of work to do in each and every one of us as well. That's that work of sanctification. It needs to go on all through our lives. We are not even close yet. I hope we all know that. God, give us grace. God, continue his work in us. But again, here with Rebecca, it seems that her lack of faith is is, uh, maybe her biggest problem, certainly a big, big problem here. She resorts to this sin, seems because she doesn't trust the Lord, or at least she's not trusting him at this point. She feels like she's got to do it herself. 
She's got to take action because God's not taking action. Maybe she thinks God's not getting it done unless I help him out. She seems pretty faithless right here in this instance. We all struggle with this at times as well, don't we? But what's the answer to that? Proverbs 3 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. That should be our response to um, the troubling situations of life that come our way. Trust in the Lord. Look to him. Commit yourself to his way, to living by his word and not wavering from it. And trust that he will accomplish his purposes. That should encourage us to be people of prayer. Seeking him for what we need and waiting on him to provide it. But it seems that that didn't occur to Rebecca. She's not thinking that way. Instead, she thought she had to make up this deceitful plan and Jacob agreed to go along with it. To deceive Isaac and to steal the blessing from Esau. So they got this uh, scheme going. They got the food ready. They got the clothing ready. They got uh, Jacob all dressed up in a Esau costume covered with goat skins. I can't imagine how this worked, but it seems it worked. Maybe he was a little senile, Jacob, but they got the food ready. Of course, there's wine involved too. Who knows? They got the food ready. They got them all um, ready to go in, and, and he went and lied repeatedly to his father. Even invoked the name of the Lord. It seems that he too was not trusting the Lord. Jacob too is, is not walking in faith here. Isaac had his doubts of what was going on. He something was up. This didn't seem right. I wondered if is this really Esau. He must have been really blind. His other senses must have been dull as well. But he's got a sense that something isn't right here. The voice doesn't sound right. The food isn't wild game either. But in the end, they pulled it off. And he was, he was fooled. Now look at verses 26 to 29. We see the blessing pronounced. He says, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. And Isaac smelled him and smelled his clothes. And he said, ah, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of the great outdoors. It's like the smell of, smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. He says, may God give you the dew of heaven 
and earth's riches, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you, peoples bow down to you. May you be Lord over your brothers. May the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. This is the old promise that was spoken by God to Abraham. And it's, it's the same promise in substance, and it's being passed on to Jacob. It went to Isaac, now it goes to Jacob. So, first of all, Isaac's plan to thwart God's will didn't work. It didn't work. God's will was done. That's the first thing we see here. God's will was done. This disobedient, rebellious man, his will was thwarted. It's good for us to think about that. When we try to go against God's will, we should know that it's not going to work. We can't win when we go against God. God will have his will done in the end. If you think you're going to rebel against him and get away with it, you're wrong. We also see something else here, though. This lying, uh, rotten scheme did work. What should we take away from that? Does that mean that crime does pay? Doing evil does pay? Does it mean that this lying, sneaky scheme wasn't wrong? No. Rebecca and Jacob's methods were wrong. They were dead wrong. It's obvious they were wrong. The end does not justify the means. They were doing wrong. And the fact that God's will was done in the end through their wrong actions does not make their actions right. But there's something else we need to see here, and that is God's favor toward Jacob. It is undeserved favor. That's what this passage is I think, really stressing here. Undeserved favor. This passage is very clear evidence that, that Jacob was not better than Esau. He wasn't more worthy. He wasn't the good guy. Yet he still received the blessing and the covenant promises. Why is that? He didn't deserve it. It's because of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace, his undeserved favor. You can't read this story and come away saying, yep. God chooses his people based on their goodness or their merit. 
we'd get the opposite from this passage. It was based on merit, and Jacob certainly shouldn't get any part of this blessing. He's not the good guy. He's not being godly here. He's a rascal, a scoundrel, a liar, and a thief. So we have to conclude that God chose Jacob not at all based on his merit, not at all based on his works, his goodness. It's unconditional election that we see here. Paul says in Romans 9, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. Rebecca was told, the older will serve the younger. God's purpose and election stands, not by works, but simply by the will of God, by his undeserved favor. And that's how he deals with all of us. He doesn't love us because we're good. He loves us despite the fact that we're not good. We are not good. (laughs) Can you all confess that? He chose you and he loves you despite your badness, your unrighteousness. And that is good good for us. God is so good to us and so amazingly gracious. No one would be saved if it was according to our merit. Biblical teaching of election, God choosing us, it totally destroys our pride. It has to. If you believe this, You have to understand that you would be absolutely doomed and damned to hell apart from God's sovereign grace choosing you and setting his love upon you. We are saved, chosen, brought into a loving relationship with God all by his sovereign, gracious choice. Those who don't believe in election are the ones who remain prideful. They think it was something good in them that gets them to heaven. That is just pure pride and arrogance. We need to ask ourselves, why me? Why am I saved? And not someone else. If it's not by unconditional election, then we're going to end up thinking, it must have been something good in me. It must have been that I was a little bit better than the next guy. There's no place for that. That kind of pride. That kind of arrogance. 
and a Christian. The truth is, if it were by our works, then none of us would be saved at all. No one would be. We need to thank God every day for his grace. We stand by his grace. Our salvation is by God's grace from first to last. The Bible's teaching of salvation has to humble us to the dust and it exalts God and his grace. It shows us that we're in his debt forever and we can never repay that debt. But we're going to have all eternity to love him thank him, and to worship him in gratitude for his amazing grace that saves us. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray that your spirit would apply your word to us, humble our hearts, teach us what wretches we are, how deserving of wrath we are. Even now, after so many years as Christians, for many of us, and even to the end of our days, help us to know that it's all of your grace that we have any hope of heaven. Humble our hearts. We pray that you'd exalt your grace gloriously, higher and higher in our hearts and minds. And we pray that you'd even use us to exalt your grace in the eyes of others. We pray in Jesus' name.